Uh, well, it's an absolute privilege to speak here today. I've, I've spoken a couple of times just around offering. Oh, you might see me on the guitar back there. Um, what an amazing music team, aren't they? Awesome. Um, I love it. We come here on Tuesday nights, we uh, rehearse and, and we just want to bless you as a, as a church every time we do that. It's just an absolute privilege um, to worship God and to bring a sense of worship into this place. And um, yeah, I just pray um, for each of you. And, and I was, as I was preparing for this message, I really felt like God was saying that this is a message that will speak directly to you as individuals. So can I just encourage you, as I am talking, don't think, oh, gee, I wish this person was here listening to what I'm saying. I wish that person was. Um, this person, no, think about what it means for you, um, directly for you. So um, we are at the last, the fourth part of this uh, amazing guardrails series. How, how good has it been so far? Yeah, so what we've heard is a, a lot of practical stuff um, about the things that we need to put in place in our lives to make sure that we don't enter into the danger zone. So these guardrails, they're a system. They're a system that direct and protect us. Um, and it needs to be say, uh, set in the safety zone. So the whole idea is that this guardrail sits here before you go over the cliff and off the edge. It's in the safety zone and it's just a little bump or a nudge that pulls you back onto course. So it's things that should spark off in your mind. Um, it's things that should trigger you to go, hang on a sec, I'm just, I'm just veering off a little bit here. I need a, a bit of a course correction. Now, it's not, you don't total yourselves when you hit a guardrail. You don't, you're not written off. It's about safety and protection. The idea is that it's in the safety zone before you head off, head off and, and might, you know, end up in a, in a world of pain. So the, the idea is that these things trigger in your mind before you're well and truly down your path. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So as I'm talking today, I want you to think about, is there something that's going off in your mind that says, hang on, hang on, I just need a little bit of a course correction here. So we've heard about relationships, we've heard about um, marriage, we've heard about um, uh, uh, giving and being generous and how to be wise with our time, our talents and our treasure. Today we're going to be talking about our hearts and what we can do to guard our hearts. Um, have you ever come out of a situation or done something and you've asked yourself this question, what was I thinking? That's not me. Why have I done that? Have you ever put your hand up if you've ever had that? All right, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that point at which you're asking yourself, what, what was I thinking? That's not me. I don't do that sort of thing. So my family go to this amazing place called Wilson's Promontory every Christmas. Has anyone been there? I know Nigel and Jess have been there with us. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place. This is a photo of it here, uh, my beautiful family, minus Eli. He was asleep at the campsite. So this is taken at sunset from the top of um, Mount Oberon, it's called. Um, it's the most southern point of Victoria, a huge national park, um, and it's absolutely stunning. The mountains come right down to the beach. Um, you're completely off-grid. There's no power there, and you camp, and you just spend time getting to know each other. Um, but as a result, and because it's only three hours away from Melbourne, it's really, really popular. You have to go into a ballot at the start or in June every year, and it's a lottery to see if you get a campsite at this place. So there's about 500 campsites there, about 2,000 people, and it is packed, like really packed. I'm talking dome tent after dome tent after annex after boat trailer after car, and it's like you're living in a city down these little laneways. So... 
this one time I was there um, and I was riding on my bikes. Um, you know how in caravan parks and campsites there's just like gangs of kids on bikes everywhere? I was one of those kids. I was like a BMX bandit. Um, I don't know if you know that movie, but that was something I grew up on, BMX bandits. So I was, I was riding along my bike with my two brothers and one of their friends. And I'm riding down this laneway which is surrounded by tents and caravans and everything around, just packed. And there was a kid that was standing in the middle of the road with his mate and he had one of those party... You know those things? I don't even know what they're called. As soon as they go... You know what I mean? Like one of those... Things. So they, were, they had it in the middle of the road and my brother and his, and his friend were riding towards them and they did it right in their face, like... And then, you know, they're sort of swerving and going all over the place. And I was a little bit behind. And I was about 10 or 12 years old, 10 to 12 years old. And who knows that 10 to 12-year-old kids are not the most coordinated people on this world. You know, when they're toddlers, when you're toddlers, their head's sort of too big and you're wandering around and their heads sort of lead the way. When they grow up a bit older and you're 10 to 12, your, your legs sort of lead the way, your arms are all lanky and you, you're just not all that coordinated. So here I am riding this bike, lanky and coordinated, uncoordinated, and I'm going, I'm going to get these kids. They're not going to do that thing into my mouth, into my face. I just scared you then, didn't I? So... So I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get these kids. And it was a little bit like I was riding that bike that May had up here for her talk a few weeks ago because I went to go and grab it and my handlebars just went off like this. And remember how packed these campsites are. I've gone off the track at a, you know, like going really fast and I'm going straight towards this dome tent. And I look back at these kids who are now starting to laugh with a little bit of fear on their face because they see the pace that I'm going at. I go straight over this dome tent. It's flat. It's no longer a dome tent. It's a flat tent. I then go proceed through a clothesline, which had towels and all sorts of things. So they're wrapped itself around my face. And I've gone bang into this really hard piece of wood. I'm like, what the heck is that? I look at it, and it was a, a wooden door on a caravan annex. Who even has wooden doors on caravan annex? So I've hit this thing with a full force and I've picked up the entire tent annex, it's pulled every peg out, every post and it's sort of just gone <laughs> sinking down and I've sort of like collected myself, I'm like what have I just done, I've looked around, surveyed the damage, there's this deflating annex, there's a flat dome tent, I've pulled bikinis and all sorts of stuff off my face and I'm left there going... I have destroyed this campsite. There is nothing left of it. These poor people who were away from their campsite at the time would have come back and seen this just carnage. So what did I do? I got on my bike and got out there as quick as I could. <laughs> like, evacuated the scene. So, and I remember as I was riding off, I'm like, I'm not this sort of person. I'm not, I'm not destructive. I'm a nice boy. I'm, I'm not like this. Where did this come from? Have you ever had that moment where you're like, something's just come out of you, you've done something, you're like, that was just stupid. That's not me. Now, it might be that it was trivial like that. It was, a, you know, it was funny. You can look back on it now and you can go, that was funny. Or it might be that it was actually a lot more serious than that. And that it was the words that came out of your mouth that really impacted someone, that it, it hurt someone.
that it hurt someone you love. It might be that you flew off the handle at your kids one day and you're looking back at that and you're going, I can't believe I just said that. It might be that you've shot your mouth off at work and you've gossiped about a colleague and you're going, that's not me. I'm not that sort of person. So today what we're going to talk about is where does this stuff come from that we just speak out sometimes or we do or these actions and we go, where, where did that come from? That, that's not me. So let's, let's go, um, let's look at Solomon uh, and what he says in Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all other things, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, Solomon was, was known to be one of the wisest men on the earth at that time, like really wise. He gave um, drops of wisdom throughout everything he said. Um, he's the sort of guy that you would have wanted to be around and just looked at and gone, oh, I just want to capture everything that's coming out of his mouth. Um, and, and he gives a whole bunch of dif- different directions, you know, about honouring your parents, being good in relationships with people, about your finances, about how you need to study and not forget the things that you're being told and listen to every word I'm saying. But he says, listen to this. This is the most important thing. You need to guard your heart because everything flows from it. So that's really important. We all go through life and we modify our behaviour because of the things that we've done. So... When I came off that bike and I destroyed that thing, I thought maybe I'm not the most coordinated guy. I should learn from that. We correct it and we go on and we move on. The important thing is these guardrails that we put in place, they're there to guide and to direct us back into the right situation. So it is a trigger. It's a reminder. It's something to pull us back onto the course. It's not to say that you're a write-off. God is a forgiving God. He sent his son Jesus to save us. He sent him to forgive us. And that means that we can stuff up from time to time, and he knows that. But he says, I've put these guardrails in place so that you can be directed and protected in your life. So about a thousand years after Solomon spoke those words, Jesus is on the, on the earth. And he's walking around, and he's, he's, he's got a crowd of people that typically follow him. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 15, and that's where we're talking about Now, I'm going to go through some of these verses and I'll pause and I'll stop and I'll explain it because some of it is a little bit confusing, particularly today, because some of it relates to the traditions of the day as opposed to what might just come to us and we understand what it's saying. So uh, let's just read this together. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, so when Jesus was preaching, he had this crowd of people following him. There was a crowd of people who were listening, but then there was also the crowd of people who who were out to get him. These Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders, they wanted to arrest him. So what they were doing is they were following him and they would ask him trick questions. And this is one of those trick questions. Um, And they'd, they'd do that so that they could catch him and then they could arrest him. So they've come to him and they've said, why do your disciples break the tradition of our elders they don't wash their hands before they eat now that sounds sort of gross doesn't it we know about germs Um, the thing is they weren't relating it to the health and that aspect of it they're talking about a tradition that they had which was um, a historic tradition where the pharisees and the people and the the religious leaders who would go into the temple had to wash their hands become clean before they would enter into god's presence so what they were saying um, is because um, 
the his disciples weren't doing it. It was a tradition that these religious leaders expanded outwards towards all the community and there was an expectation that all the Jewish people would wash their hands before they eat. So they've asked this trick question where they know it is actually a tradition. It's not, it's not God's law, but they've turned it into, uh, you have to do this. And so they've put this trick question towards Jesus. Let's move on and see what Jesus says. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your own tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. This, thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Now, we read that now, we go, hang on, I don't really understand what that means. What's that talking about? Back two, two and a half thousand years ago when it was being spoken, uh, the people knew what that meant. So I just want to explain to you what he's saying there. Now, these same religious leaders, um, they turned this tradition um, or this um, yeah, rule, they made a rule that said if, you, you, if you've got lots of money, if you're wealthy, and in fact they were doing it themselves as religious leaders, they said if you've got lots of money, you can devote all of that to the temple, all of it. So everything you own, you give to the temple, but then in turn you can live off what you need. But it's only you and your direct family. It's not, not everyone else around you. It's just you and your family that can live off that. And direct family, I mean you, your wife and your kids. So what Jesus was saying here is you've got this tradition you've created but you're dishonouring your mother and father with it. What does that mean? Well, it means that later on in life, as they've devoted all their gifts and talents and everything, all their treasures to the temple, they say, I've given it all to the church but I'll live off everything I need. And they actually lived pretty extravagant lives. These were not people who were doing it tough. So they pulled everything back that they needed. It was probably everything that they owned. So they in a sense, gave it, but they kept it. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? So their father and mother would come to them later on in their lives and they'd say, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I can't work anymore. You know, they've lost their eyesight. They can't play out the fields anymore. And they come to them and they say, my son, my daughter, I need your help. Can you help, Can you help me out? And they say, I can't do it. I can't do it because I've given it all to God. It's not mine to give. Do you see what I'm saying here? It was just a complete twisting of that situation. So they turned what was a tradition into a law and a law that broke God's law, broke God's command, honour your mother and father. They were breaking it because of this law that they brought into place. So let's move on. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him and they said, listen, he said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. So it's not because they haven't cleaned their hands and they haven't washed what they're eating and that's not what defiles them. It's what that comes out of their mouth that defiles them. So it's not what goes in. Uh, it's not about the fact they didn't clean their hands. It was about what words are spoken out, the things that they do in their everyday actions. That's what defiles them. Peter then comes to Jesus. Peter's one of his disciples and he says, can you explain this to us again? Explain this parable to us. And Jesus sort of says to him, are you still so dull? Like, you know, come on, guys. Like, you're my disciples. You should know this. Hear what I'm saying. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the mouth, then into the stomach, and then... Jesus was talking about poo. 
That's pretty funny, isn't it? So his disciples were probably chuckling. <laughs> Jesus just said, you know, just talk about food. So it comes into the mouth, into the stomach, and then out. That doesn't matter. But if we move on, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these are what defiles them. For out of the heart come evil things, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defiles a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is a massive moment here. You've got to understand that um, in the Jewish faith before, it was the old covenant with God, which everything was upwards and linear. I have to get my life right. I have to be perfect. I have to be clean. I have to do everything right because I need to be in that place before I can come into God's presence. Jesus came to the earth and he broke all of that. He said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you come to church every Sunday or if you, what you look like on the outside or um, it doesn't matter if you've, you look good. It's what comes out of your mouth I forgive you I died on the cross for you but I care about what comes out of your mouth because I care about my people so what he's saying here is and I want to read this out so if mistreating other people is what offends God not how you look not about what your appearance is not what you do on Sundays but it's how you treat others then what offends God is what offends his people And if what offends people comes from our mouths and what comes from our mouths comes from our heart, then it's what's in our heart that can offend God. So therefore, it's really important that we guard our hearts. We need to protect it from those things that might work its way in and then be directed out towards others because God's saying it's coming from your heart and I care about what's in here. So our behaviour, the things we do on the outside... What this is all explaining, what Jesus is saying in this moment is what you're doing and what what comes out of your daily actions, it's actually coming from in here. So we need to guard what's in here. We need to guard what's within. But we probably have all seen this. We probably all know this. Do you know anyone who's lost their job because of what they've spoken? The things that have come out of their mouth? Do you know anyone who's broken a relationship because of the nasty things they've said? Do you know anyone who's come out of a situation and they've thought to themselves, I don't know what I was saying, that's not me, Um, and they're in this posture of, I I can't believe I did that. We've all seen it happen. So I want to talk, and for the last part of this series and the last part of my talk, I want to talk about the guardrails that we need to put in place that trigger us. They're like internal tensions in your heart that should spark you into action should spark you to go hang on I'm, I'm veering off here i'm going a little bit left i need to head back to where god's purpose is josh talked about and he showed us like a great demonstration last week about a box um, and it was all surrounding him that's not what the guardrails are about these guardrails actually point us and they keep us in movement towards god's purpose it's not a block it's not what we put ourselves in it's what god calls us to So I want to talk about these little things, and they're pretty practical, but I I think they really do apply to our lives. And there are four key things that should be those internal guardrails or those alarms that go off in our mind, and that's guilt, greed, jealousy, and anger. These are the four things that should trigger in your mind, that when you start to feel these sort of things, that you go, oh, 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 I'm just heading off the wrong path here. I'm starting to feel a little bit guilty. I'm feeling greed work its way in, jealousy, anger, and it should pull you back onto course. So what does guilt say? Guilt says, I owe you. 
I owe you. I've done something to you and I feel really bad about it and I'm, I feel guilty. So um, when I was in high school, I just made the wrong friendship group. Like it, it was, I, 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 you know, in my early years of high school, just started hanging out with the wrong kids and they, they were drinking and they would get into drugs and it was just a bad scene to be a part of. There was heaps of peer pressure going on. And I stood pretty firm in my faith. I believed in God. I had a great family, great friends around me. But these friends at school were just a bad influence on me. Now, I was in a situation once where, you know, my mates are coming to me, just have one drink, Mark, just have one drink. Now, I was underage. I shouldn't have been drinking. They shouldn't have been drinking. None of us should have been drinking. But I had one. And then I had two. And then I had three. And I got drunk. And, like, I'm ashamed of it. Like, that was not me. And I remember thinking, that's not me. That's not the person I am. Where did this come from? What have I done? Um, and we might all be in situations like that. And I thought, I thought to myself, there was a, a few things. Oh, my gosh, my family. What have I done? It got to the point where I'd be sitting in the lounge room watching TV with my parents and this guilt would come over me that was so strong, I just had to evacuate the room. I'd get up and I'd leave. A, a commercial would come up on TV that was, you know, like a Dan Murphy's commercial or something like that and I'd just be like, I'd back out. So what, in that situation, I was pulling myself away from my parents. I was separating myself. This guilt had worked its way into my heart and I was feeling like I owe my parents more than this. They've brought me up to be better than this. I felt guilty going into church, the place I loved, and I felt like I've done something wrong. I've just betrayed God. This guilt just festered in my heart, and it got to the point where I was removing myself and the, and the relationship with my parents in particular was being broken. Now, my mum and dad are pretty perceptive and they saw it. They could see what was going on. They had no idea what had happened. And they turned, my mum turned to me one day. We were sitting at the dinner table. And she said, Mark, Mark, what's up? What's going on? And I remember this internal thought process going, I can't tell her because it'll cause chaos. In my life, you know, it'll just cause too much. But I, I broke at that moment, and I just we wept in my mum's arms, and I said, "They told me to." I said, "I did." Just blubbering mess for ages, as most 16, 17 year old boys are. Um, <laughs> sorry, if you're 16 or a 17 year old, you could be tough, yeah. So, I was like, I was broken, and I remember going through that process, and yeah, externally there was some stuff that went into a bit of chaos. I got grounded. Um, I, my parents, I had to work that trust up again with my parents. But do you know what the overwhelming sense of emotion was after that? Relief and love inside here. Outside, yeah, I meant I couldn't go out on Friday nights and different things were happening and I got, you know, I had boundaries put in place. Inside was guilt left, forgiveness came in, love came in. And it replaced that. And that's really important. And you might have a situation in your life right now where, um, yeah, you need to put guardrails in place and, and think about where, where am I thinking I owe someone? What is that moment? And I'll talk about that a bit more later. Greed says, I owe me. It says, I'm, I, I'm worth this. 
I'm worth this present. I deserve this. I've worked hard all week and I deserve it. I, I owe me. I hope the people around me don't actually know how much I earn because I work really hard and I deserve it. And, um, you know, I don't want to give this much because I've worked it and it's mine. Josh talked to us last week, Pastor Josh talked about some great ways we can put things in place in our lives that around financial matters that help us recognise that greed is the assumption that everything is for my consumption. It's an assumption. It's actually not truth. It's not fact. Everything isn't for you. It's just an assumption. So I, um, I have someone who I loved, uh, I love, and... Uh, I looked up to them, I respected them, and they were a big part of my life growing up. Um, but I saw them in this posture of, I owe this to me. They worked really hard. I looked up to them because they were a really good professional at what they did, and they were really successful at what they did. But they went through their life in this posture of, I owe me. So what it did was, if he and his family are here... Every moment he said, I owe me, he stepped away from them. I've got to work some longer hours because I owe me this really fancy car. I've got to work some longer hours because I need to get this amazing boat. I owe me because I work really hard, so I'm going to be out and I have to work overseas now. So his family's over there and he's over here. Um, he, he lost his wife. He lost his kids. They don't want to spend time with him and he's in this position now where he's on his own and he's lonely and it's all because of this posture of I owe me. Jealousy says life owes me. It says everyone else out there, they don't know what I'm going through. This life owes me. I deserve better than what I've got. I've worked hard. I should have this. I should have that. How did they get that when I did that? I wanted that job. I worked really hard. I... I deserve it. Life owes me. I had this situation when I was uh, a bit younger in my career where um, I'd been working as a town planner for six years and a, a senior planning job came up at my work. I thought I'd worked really hard. I thought I deserved it. I thought I was owed it. Um, there was a couple of people that went for the job internally and they also offered the job externally to applicants and none of us got it internally. And the person who came in got it. I was really, really jealous of them. And you know what? The bit that really st um, stands out to me now is that I celebrated at points where they went into failures. And that's, that's pretty gross. So when they messed up, I thought, oh, I wouldn't have done that. If they gave me the job, I wouldn't have done that. That's pretty gross, isn't it? And I look back and I go, that's not me. Where did that come from? Well, it came from the heart because I had jealousy in my heart. It might be that you're comparing yourself to others um, it might be that you just think, oh, I need this, I need that, um, you know, I, that person's got that, why can't I have that, I deserve that. That's jealousy, it's working its way in, it says life owes me. Romans 12.15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. The problem is, and this is a real problem, when you start rejoicing when someone else is weeping, that's where it's all out of mix and that's a guardrail, that is a, a guardrail you've hit hard it should be that correction to go actually you know what I, I i'm not going to rejoice in that anger this is a big one and it's it's probably in in all of us and it says you owe me what you did that hurt that you put on me you owe me for that and i'm not going to let this go until you make it better 
you owe me. In fact, I'm not going to just hold on to this anger, but I'm going to hold on to it. And everyone who reminds me of you, I'm going to say, you owe me. And I'm going to turn them away as well because anger moves from one place to the other. It doesn't just stay stationary, does it? Um, I don't know if you've ever had a whippersnipper or a chainsaw or a wheelbarrow, not a wheelbarrow, a uh, lawnmower. But you know those pull string things where you pull it and it's got a coil inside? If you know there's a coil inside, you probably know that it's the most frustrating thing ever because you've opened it up and it's just gone and come out. So I had this whippersnipper that the pull string broke and I thought, oh, this will be easy. I'm pretty, like, pretty industrious sort of guy. I can fix this thing. And so I undid it and the string went like this. And it came out and I spent three and a half hours trying to get this thing back in. I can tell you there was a lot of anger from me at this whippersnipper. There was stuff coming out of me that needed deliverance, you know. It was like... My beautiful wife pokes her head out the door and goes, hey, hey Marky, is, is, is everything all right? My anger shifted from this to that. It shifted. It went, in one moment, my anger moved from a whippersnipper to my wife. How dare you ask me if I'm okay? You know it, I'm not okay. I've been trying to pull this thing for three hours. Ah! The whippersnipper flew across the yard, hit the neighbor's fence, put a dent in it, and I was angry. I thought, you owe me, whippersnipper, and you owe me, wife, for interrupting me and making me throw this thing. Anger shifts from one person to the next. It shifts from one area of your life because it says, you owe me. You owe me. And it moves to that next place. And it's not good. And that's a guardrail that should be in your life that goes, the moment I feel like someone owes me, I'm going to put that guardrail in place. Notice I've hit it, and I'm going to bring a course direction back. Pastor Mark shared in the first part of his series that it's the people we've met that are often our greatest regret. Now, this anger one, uh, it's big because it's often the people who we're closest to that have caused that hurt. It might be that it was your husband. It might be that it was your wife that hurt you. It might be that it was a family member. Um, We've all had situations where it's been a person we've met, the person that's closest to us, the person we put a bit of expectation on that lets us down. And we say to them, you owe me. Um, There are people who are sitting in this room today who would have gone through tremendous hurt because of someone close to them. And you know what? God's not okay with that. But what he doesn't want is that anger to come into your heart and fester. He wants you to let it go. So the next part of it and the last part of this talk is all about what we need to do to get rid of this stuff. What can we do to move from a place of guilt where you owe me, greed where, you, where I owe me, jealousy where life owes me, anger you owe me into a different posture, a different position. Um, as Jesus followers, and if you know Jesus, this sort of stuff, it's kind of not optional because we're called to be like him and he was the perfect example of where this stuff this greed, this jealousy, this anger, this guilt didn't get into his heart. So we're called to be like him. But if you're not a Jesus follower, if you don't know him, this sort of stuff is really applicable anyway. And I pray that you, you receive this and, you, and you, you say, actually, there's an area of my life that I, I think I can work this into. I think I can bring a guardrail in. Because 
like I, I have known Jesus all my life and I know that he has just brought love and forgiveness and kindness and mercy. And he's, every time I come to him and I say, I shouldn't have done this, God. This has worked its way into my heart. When he's taken it, all I feel is his love and his forgiveness and his kindness and his grace. So what do we do about it? Well, with greed, oh, sorry, with guilt, we've got to admit to it. Another way of saying that is confess. Here's the thing. It's not you just saying, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. God, God, yeah, like I, I, need, to, I, need, to, I need to own up to something to you, God. He already actually knows. He knows that you've done it. He knows that you've stuffed up. He knows that you're going to continue to stuff up. So what does it look like when you're admitting to it? Ideally, you're admitting it to the person who you've caused that offence to. If you can't do that, then you've got to admit it to someone else around you who can help you get to a point where you can admit it to the person that you've offended. If that person's not here anymore, you still need to admit it to someone who's around you because they can help you get to a place where you, you go, I don't actually owe that person anymore because it's not... It's not, whole, it's not in my heart anymore. So I don't, I'm letting go of that guilt. So um, when, I, when I had that instance where I'd done the wrong thing in high school, I remember coming to this position of, I, like, I'm sorry, Mum. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done this. I've betrayed your trust. You trusted me and I, I took that and abused it. I, I'm sorry. And I admitted it. In that one moment, although I was a blubbering mess, this sense of relief came over me. Um, it's, it is important to recognise, and I'm not going to say that when you do admit it, it's all going to be rosy and everything's fine. You actually may, it may be a bit like there's turmoil going on on the outside, but on the inside, there'll be peace. There'll be forgiveness. There'll be love. The stuff, remember, the stuff that's in here goes out and it's directed at others. So what was going out towards my parents and actually saw me moving away from them and evacuating the room and separating from that relationship with my parents instead became a close and forgiving and intimate relationship. My parents um, gave me, when I was 13, year old, 13 years old, a, a ring. And it was a covenant ring, a promise ring, and it was a ring to, um, first and foremost, God. It's to say, I'm going to live my life honouring my, my God. The second part of it was, I'm going to honour my family. Those people around me, um, the, the, the family that are closest to me, I'm going to honour them through what I do. I'm going to respect them. I'm going to respect the fact that they've given me boundaries. The third is my future wife. So I didn't know V was going to be my wife at the time. I knew her. In fact, I had the hots for her. Um, <laughs> but... This ring was a, a promise and I hadn't worn it every day at that point um, but I, I chose on that day when I admitted it and my mum said to me, do you remember that ring, Mark? It was a promise you made to me. You've betrayed that promise but I forgive you for it. And I made a decision with my parents that day that I'm going to wear that ring every day. Now it went on this finger but then it shifted to this finger when I got married because it was a promise to my wife. If you're a teenager in this place right now, can I just talk to you right now? And this might apply to everyone else, but I want to focus on, on teenagers. If you're in a position where you've done something and you regret it and you're thinking, I can't tell my parents about it or I can't tell the people who are caring after me about this because they're going to feel like I've betrayed their trust, you've got to confess. 
And you might need help to do that. And it might be through prayer and church. It might be through talking to one of your youth leaders. It might be talking to the pastors. But you've got to get to a point where you admit to it. Guess what? Your parents can handle it. The people who care about you, the people who love you can handle it. And that moment when you confess it, yeah, there might be a bit of turmoil. There might be stuff going on at the outside. Your parents might actually need to put some restrictions in place. But um, you're going to be in such a better place because that heart, the stuff that's within, won't be coming out anymore and it won't be pushing you away from your parents. Parents, if you've got kids and you're thinking they're just drifting a bit, why aren't they talking to me as much as what they used to? Maybe you can talk to them about getting a ring like this because it was in moments when I was in... Um, you know, in parties or in other situations where I'd look down at this promise and I'd say, I can't do this. I'm not in this environment and I'd leave. It was a physical reminder, something that I could look at that I could go, I've made a promise. So there are practical things you can do there. So greed, greed says, uh, and what can you do about it? It says, give something away that's big to you. Give. Just give it. Give it away. It may be huge to you. It might be a really significant thing. And others might look at it and go, well, that's actually not that big. You know, I could probably give that away. Or it might be that it, 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 it's, you know, huge to someone else. Massive, beyond what they could even think. But for you, it's just like, this is a thing that's standing in my way. This is making me think that I owe me. So um, men, in particular, if you're in this place, we love stuff generally. We love buying stuff. We love filling our sheds with amazing tools, cars, boats, all of that sort of gear. Um, we work hard for it as well. And we often can look at that as a, and being in a posture where I owe me. You know what? I've worked really hard during this week. I'm going to come home and I'm going to look on eBay and I'm going to buy this. I deserve it. Maybe God's saying to you today, give it away. Maybe if you're a, a, a lady in this place, it's, it's online shopping. And it's, you know, I, you know, I need this, I need that. That's 50% off, so that's great. I'm going to grab that and grab this. Um, maybe you need to give it up for a while. And it's big to you. It's big. You can't do that. But, um, you know, you're being challenged now. There's a guardrail in here. Actually, I, I owe me this. I owe me. I've worked hard for this. A few weeks ago, I spoke around an offering about the fact that um, we're going to the Philippines as a family um, in October, September, October. We're really excited about it. The journey of me getting there was about me giving something away. Um, as a family, we had made a decision that we had, we had a five-year plan in place that we were going to go to Europe. I've got family over in Europe that um, my kids haven't met. Um, I thought, this is, this, we owe this to me. I've worked hard. I've, you know, I've been working hard for a long time. We deserve this. And God challenged us as a family and he said, give it away. What? That was my plan. We deserve this, God. Nah, give it away. I don't doubt that amazing stuff is going to happen on this trip to the Philippines in us. The thing is, the moment I said, I'm going to give it, I, that, that sense of I owe this to me just left and instead I just felt like this is so right. This is what God wants for me. So what is it that God's calling you to give away? What is it? Have a think about that. Jealousy says, it's actually, it says, it's actually not that life owes me. It's actually you're saying that God owes you. Because it's not just life. It's not just the things. You're saying, God, you know what? You owe me. 
I had this planned and, you know, I, I wanted that job and I worked hard and I prayed and I thought you were going to give it to me and you didn't. And it's your fault, God. You owe me. So what do you do about it? You celebrate. You celebrate when you lose. You celebrate when you didn't get that job. And it's not just an internal, oh, dear, I'm so happy for them. No, it's an outward, I'm writing them a card. Dear John, I'm so happy for you that you got the job over me. And give it to them. It's an external action. It might be that someone comes to you and says, hey, we've just booked a trip to Europe, Mark. How good is that? I'm so happy for you. And like I say in a bit of jest there, but it's actually, you know, it's putting it on the outside of you and it's moving it out of your heart and out into the, into the surrounds and it's saying, I'm happy, I'm celebrating, I'm actually really happy for you. Because remember, um, what's in the, on the inside starts shaping the outside. So if you're letting it go, it starts shaping the way you have that correspondence with others and they start going, hey, this person's genuinely happy for me. Be happy, celebrate with others, celebrate. Anger. This is a big one. It says, forgive. What do we have to do to let go of anger? We have to forgive. It's pretty basic, isn't it? But it's not easy. It's really not easy. You need to identify what was taken from you and cancel that debt altogether. Just cancel it. Um, But you're also saying, you know what, I won't be ruled by this anger anymore. It's not going to transmit from me to other people, so I'm going to let it go. So when someone else comes into my life and they start reminding me of this, I'm going to let that go. And I'm actually going to accept them. I'm going to say, hang on, you're you're a person I need to get to know. You're you're someone that God loves, so I'm going to love you as well. I'm not going to be ruled by that anger anymore because I've forgiven that person. You know the statement, forgive and forget? It's actually a pile of rubbish. It's not true. You know, everyone says it. You've got to forgive and then you've just got to forget it. You will remember it. When someone hurts you, when someone's done something really bad to you, you'll remember. But you can't let it rule you. It can't control your life. You can't let it fester inside your heart. You've got to let it go. And that is hard. And it might mean that you have to stand with someone who can support you in that moment. It might mean that you need to identify it through talking with someone. It might mean you need to sit down with Pastor Mark and do forgiveness in Christ, um, which is fantastic if you haven't done it. I'd encourage you to do it because it just helps you work through this process of forgiveness. And it's a recognition that I can forgive others because Christ has forgiven me. I don't actually have to hold on to this stuff anymore. One of the greatest opportunities we've got as Christ followers is to forgive others around us. It's to let go of that anger and it's to start guarding our hearts from that stuff. So I just want to close now. Um, perhaps you can all stand with me. You might be here today and your heart literally is broken. One of these triggers up here, the guilt, the greed, the jealousy, the anger, you might be looking at that and going, that is me, every part of that. You know what? I've actually got all four of them, Mark. That's too much. I can't handle it anymore. You know, these people owe me. I owe me. God, life owes me. You owe me. God owes me. Everything is about me, 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 me. No, God's saying you actually you, you need to move from that place to bring guardrails into your life that trigger you. They go, hang on. No, no, no. no. They don't actually owe me. I don't owe me this. God doesn't owe me this. They don't owe me this. 
I need God. I need His forgiveness. I need to forgive those others around me. Today, you can let that stuff go. That's the amazing thing. You can do it right now. You can move to that posture of stuff getting into your heart and separating you from your loved ones, from from God and pushing Him out and others out and maybe hurling abuse at people and being in situations where you've said the wrong things and you've thought to yourself, that's not me. That's not me. You know what? It's actually not you. It's just some stuff that's worked its way into your heart and it's coming out. Like what Jesus said, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out that He's concerned about. So let's, let's worry about what's coming in. And let's get rid of the stuff that's getting in our hearts. Let's start guarding them, protecting them. Um, I just really felt as I was preparing this message, I had a few words for people. Um, I felt like God placed them on my heart. Um, If this, um, I'll start over here on the left. Um, I think it's someone over this side here. And you've been really hurt by someone that's really close to you. And it, and it sucks. Uh, it was something that you didn't expect. It was done by someone who shouldn't have done it. And they've hurt you. And God's saying, don't let anger get into your heart around it. That person doesn't owe you. Let it go. He's saying, don't let this anger that, you know, because you're going through this process, even now it might have been recent and you're going, how did this happen? How can this person that I love so much do this to me? God's saying to you, it's okay. It hurts. I know it hurts, but I've got love that I want to give to you and I want to replace what's inside your heart and I want to, I want to replace that sense of anger that might start festering and transmitting on others and other relationships and, and I'm going to bring someone actually, someone into your life that can help bring correction there and can help realise that you don't need to be angry anymore. So if that's you, I pray that's like taken softly. I don't know anyone's stories really over here like that. That you know, I, I, I just felt like God was saying, you need to speak this because there's someone here who's been hurt. Um, is David Baldwin here? Is he here? He's not here. Um, the Baldwin boys are here. I, I really felt a word for David. Um, and maybe you can just take this back to him. Um, so I felt like God was saying, go right. Um, the, the amazing verse where Jesus calls out to his disciples and he says, cast your net out to the right-hand side of the boat. I feel like that's a moment for your dad. Um, that is, and it's business-related and it's actually about going right. And it might actually be physically going right. So it might be something to the right of his business. It might be a right-sided idea. Um, but God's saying, go right, because I've got a huge blessing that I want to bring your way. Um, and I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I just feel like he, it's maybe been there's two decisions in front of him and he could go left or he could go right. But God's saying, no, no, go right. Can you pass that on? <laughs> awesome. Um, on the right-hand side... Um, I really felt like God was saying, and actually it's probably from here around, that there's guilt. That you've, there's someone here that's actually done something to offend someone else. And it's holding you. And it's actually worked its way into your heart and you feel like you owe them. And God's saying, you, you don't. But I, I need you to admit to it. 
um, I need you to actually open up and, 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 and talk with someone else and say, actually, I've done the wrong thing here. Because that guilt that might be on your heart, God's saying, I don't want that in there anymore because you're actually putting that up as a block so that I can't get into your life. So just hand that to him. And it might be during this worship time. It might be in prayer afterwards, but you don't need to feel guilty. You don't owe that person. You just need to admit it. So if you've heard this message and one of these four things is really standing out to you, can I just encourage you now to think about it? Maybe it's all four. And think about what are the, what's the guardrail I need to bring into my life to make sure that I'm keeping on, on going the way God wants. Would you all like to bow your heads in prayer? Lord, I thank you first and foremost that you've forgiven us. I thank you for what you did on the cross for us. I thank you that we don't have to keep things in our heart that would stand between us and you. Lord, we've all got areas in our lives where we might be feeling like uh, we're not good enough. We've done the wrong thing. We deserve this. We shouldn't have done that. That person shouldn't have done that to me. Um, And it starts transmitting outwards. Lord, you want our hearts to be pure. You want our lives to live a life that glorifies you, that lifts you up, that celebrates and, and, um, you know, it, it, it... helps other people around us. You love all of us, Father. And when we do stuff that comes out of our heart because of what's in there and it hurts other people, Lord, you're saying, I don't want that there anymore. Just let it go. Worry about your heart. Worry about what's in there, but don't worry about what you're actually putting in. Worry about what's coming out. So if stuff starts coming out of our mouths, God, I pray that you would just bring that to our attention, that it would be a little internal spark or attention that goes off that says... I've just veered off course here, God. There's guardrails in place and I need to come back. I need to be on your purpose, your calling. Lord, I pray you would bring those things to our minds right now. If you're in this place and that's speaking to you, can I just encourage you to just pray with others around you, to open up about it. God wants your hearts to be pure. Lord, we love you. We want hearts that just admire you, that don't put things in the way, that just receive you, receive your forgiveness and just love you and love others because you say, above all things, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts because from what comes from the heart goes out to others. And Lord, we want to be people that speaks life and love and forgiveness and joy and compassion, goodness into others around us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.